Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. There's a growing loneliness epidemic, and while we appear to be more connected than ever, many are lonelier than ever before. Why do we struggle to find the human connection we seek? Today's guest, Christy Tate, believes that it's important for females to consciously recognize and elevate their friendship bonds. After realizing her life was a friendship graveyard, Christy embarked on a brutally honest exploration of her friendships, sorting through the ways she kept the lasting bond she craved out of reach. She joins us today to talk about the power of friendship. Christy is the author of the New York Times bestseller group, which was a Reese's Book Club selection. She has been published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Chicago Tribune, among others. Her new book is BFF, A Memoir of Friendship, Lost and Found. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Christy, we are so connected today. We're connected more than we have ever been, and yet we're lonelier than we've ever been. What do you think is happening in our relationships today? I think being connected is different than being intimate and having deep and meaningful connections. That's been my experience. I can I can open up my phone and I can like someone's picture, but I can't necessarily show them who I am, what I'm afraid of, what's really under the surface of a tiny picture on their phone. And I think the combination of being less meaningfully connected and being able to look at other people's lives and project onto them. they When I look at my friends' pictures, I can't see their loneliness. I can't see their heartache. I can't see their physical struggles. So it's easy to feel actually more isolated with all this connection if it's not undergirded by like true intimacy. Mm-hmm. I remember, Christy, years ago, when texting was starting to become popular and my sons who were in high school at the time would text their friends and I would joke with them saying, why don't you just call them and make the plans, you know, to go to the movies instead of 30 texts. And then as time went on and I discovered texting, I I realized that it was a a quick way to communicate with someone. You didn't really have to deal with the person. But (laughs) now, you know, not dealing with the person is doing everything that you just described. We're not having meaningful relationships. Yeah, it's really tempting to shortcut the messiness of true intimacy and connection. A text can can ease communication. It can move things along quickly. But I have found that there's a price to pay for that. And I'm I'm not interested now in everything being quick and easy to resolve. Like, for me, the mess and the muck of having to hear someone sigh and wait to find their words and the essence of them, that had been dropped out of text. And now it's just too high of a price to pay. I, I couldn't, I could no longer bear the loneliness. So now I'm one of those people who will actually pick up the phone to the horror of mm-hmm. some of my friends. But <laughs> we're coming all the way, you know, everything bends back around and people are, are, are really appreciating, like, let's slow down. Let's, yeah. let's have this conversation instead of the bullet text going back and forth, which are funny. They make me laugh. And I don't feel, I don't feel fully disconnected, but it's not the same 
as the greater intimacy of the phone or in person. I started doing the same thing when I catch myself. If someone texts me and I catch myself responding, I'll call them and I'll say, you know, I was just going to text you. And then I thought, let me hear your voice. And I think Mm. if we start to get back to doing those simple little things that were so common in our lives, I think you're right. It's going to make a big difference in our relationships. Yes, I definitely think that the, 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 there's a balance, right? right? Texting is great for making the initial plan, but once, once I find myself doing the work of a relationship that's any level deeper than making a plan of what time and where and the pin for where the restaurant is, anything deeper, I have to ask myself, am I hiding from a real conversation? Could there be more here? Am I just taking from the buffet the cheese and I've missed the prime rib and the, mm-hmm. and the delicious dessert? I don't, I don't want an all-cheese diet, which is a terrible metaphor, but that's how it feels. Right, right. So let's back up a little bit. You were doing self-evaluation and you realized that you were experiencing a friendship graveyard. What did that mean to you at the time and, and how did that realization change your life? Yeah, I looked around a friend of mine had asked me you know once I got settled romantically which took a couple decades and you know I found a sane and healthy partner so then I was like oh I'm set and somebody asked me a question like well now you can work on your friendships and it was so jarring and I looked back and there were these wonderful women and wonderful girls because this my pattern started when I was a young girl that I could be close for a moment in time, but I couldn't hold on. And I didn't have long-term friendships. And it bothered me because I knew, I knew that was a thing. People had friends from high school, college, grade school. And I just, I was a cut and runner. And for lots of different reasons, I was a ghoster. I ghosted people. And None of that made me proud, but I just didn't know how to fix it. So I just kept hoping it would magically get better as I got older. But what I was finding, I got to the age of 37. And if it was going to magically get better, it probably would have by then. And I was going to have to do some concerted, specific work around friendships, exactly like I had done around romantic relationships. I wasn't going to get to skip the work and magically know how to be a long-lasting and loving friend. So do you think, and I want to just touch on the romantic relationship part, do you think that when you were in search of that romantic partner, that that was your priority? And I ask that because I do know someone who right now is so focused on finding a partner, which is a wonderful thing to have, but it is totally her priority and friendships are pushed to the side. And do you think that was something you were doing? And do you think a lot of women do that? Speaking for myself, that's 100% what I did starting from the age of 17 and I got my first serious boyfriend. I felt, I've wondered about that. Like, it's so, I mean, there, there, there's like popular cultures, like don't ditch your friends for your boyfriend. And I did it over and over again, in part because very deep fear that if I didn't get a partner, I was going to die alone. And that sounds drastic, but that's how I talked to myself about the project of being single. And I also felt like my female relationships, I didn't know that I was allowed to prioritize them. I had the idea that they should just be natural. And if they didn't, if the, what, the, what I was supposed to work for was that romantic relationship. It was, I mean, it's terrible to say I was a feminist. I went to law school. I really, you know, I I thought of myself as someone who was very progressive, but my feelings and thoughts on this were so deeply rooted that there was no getting around my deep conviction that I could do friendship once I had locked down a romantic relationship that was going to be my person. And then I could turn to friendship. And I had no idea it was going to take me 35 years to get myself romantically sorted out. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely was a priority, which was a real mistake Mm -hmm. on so many levels, not the least of which. And I remember my therapist told me this and I did not believe him. He said, if you work on your female friendships, your friendships, you'll be learning about intimacy and it will help you when you get into a romantic relationship. And I was like, no, 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 no. You focus on getting me a boyfriend. Don't talk to me about friendship. I wouldn't even hear it. I wanted all my resources 
to go to this romantic project. And it, it kind of breaks my heart. I miss decades of friendship because I was so busy thinking I had to really only focus on the romance. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it's a real, it's a real regret I have. And, you know, I'm listening to you and it, it's so similar to what I did, Christy, because I got married after college and then I devoted all of my attention to my husband and my family. And that was all. And I let the friendships go to the side for 21 mm-hmm. years until I lost sense of who I was as a woman and as a person. And then I ended up getting divorced. And, and to be honest, I was blessed to have had some friends that were there through all of those years, even though we weren't as close as we once were, because they were my lifeline. They saved me after my divorce. And so I agree with you, no matter what the reason that we push our friends to the side, I think it's really important that we recognize their role in our lives and and how, like you said, what they bring to us all of those years, those things that we've both missed. Absolutely. I remember the morning, you know, I had been working so hard in therapy and in recovery and in my life to have a healthy romantic relationship because I wanted a partner and I wanted a family. And the day after my wedding, I was pregnant. I loved my husband. I was happy the wedding was over. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, my God, I felt this deep fear. Like, I don't want to be I don't want our lives to just be the two of us and, and the babies that we're blessed with. I was so clear from like within 24 hours of being married and he was taking a nap because we were exhausted after a wedding. And I just called all my friends like, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just married. Please don't. Leave. I was so worried about a loneliness creeping in because I knew I knew my pattern was drop the friends for the man. And I was just I wanted to make it explicit like a manifesto and let my friends know. And they were all like, we got you. We're not going to let you disappear. And they didn't, which was great because I had I still had a lot of work to do. But I was very clear that if it was just going to be me and my husband, I was not going to be able to stay in the marriage. I would have been too. It, I'm a lot. I'm a lot. I'm too much for one person. <laughs> so <laughs> I really just and I need more. I need. I can. I love him, and he he is one of my people. But my friends are also my people, and I'm so happy I learned that lesson. It was late in life, but it, I'm glad it wasn't too late. Mm-hmm. Are you going through a process now of kind of evaluating the friends that you do have and seeing which ones are the ones that are best for your mental health that are, that are, I don't want to say the keepers, but are the ones that are your people? Because I have surrounded myself with people that are my people, you know, girls that are my, my girls that we go through life with. And then I've tried to hold on to some relationships purely because I think they're comfortable and they're safe but they're not necessarily the best ones for me. Have you done some of that analysis to see who are the ones that you want to continue the rest of your life with? Yes, I have. I'm very happy to hear you say that because as as much space as I want to make for friendship, there are only so many hours in a day. There's only so much energy I can put forth toward any relationships in any category. And what has surprised me about this process is for many years, I think I, I looked at friends like, you know, I go to group therapy, I make friends there, I'm in recovery and 12 step. And I think I have always thought, well, those, that's the place where I'm going to find my real friends. And for many years, that was true. What I have discovered in this latest period of discernment is just because someone isn't in the kind of therapy I go to or isn't in recovery in the way that I am doesn't mean they can't be close to me. And I've really had this great awakening and great sense of pleasure in letting people who I've met through my kids' school or through the writing world or through um, other, my neighbors. Like, I think I've kept people at a distance because I was like, oh, God, I do all these things for my mental health and you wouldn't understand. And that was the only place I knew how to connect. And now I'm finding... I don't know. I just feel more expansive in this way. And it's become interesting because like you said, some of the relationships I held on to because we were in the same mental health groups, those have turned out not to be the healthiest. I just assumed they were because we were in this common enterprise of recovery. And that is not necessarily the case. And it's been a real paradigm shift for me that's brought more people into my life and different people 
and other people who have been in the center have kind of receded because we can't just rest on these like pat ideas about what we do and how we move through the world. It's, it's been fascinating. And I think one of the things you had mentioned earlier that one of our false assumptions about friendships is, is that it just happens. And it's a lot of mm. work. You have to put the same kind of work into a friendship as you would any type of relationship. I, I recently saw a video with Jane Fonda. They were doing media, uh, mm. media tour for the new movie that they have out. And Jane said, we have to be intentional in our relationships. We We literally have to look at the other person, be persistent and say, I want you in my life. And then you have to work at it. That is true. And I think exactly what has tripped, what tripped me up for many years is I would be in my apartment in Chicago scrolling through social media and I would see women from my high school and they were all together in Mexico. And it just felt like magic, like how they do that, how they all get there. And I didn't realize when, when people talk about the work of friendship, I was like confused, like what's the work? And maybe there's a better word for it, but what it is is the labor of calling, being in touch, remembering birthdays, making time, going to coffee, going to lunch, having a set schedule, if it's possible to pull that off. And if you don't live in the same town, making efforts to go visit. Like That is the work of friendship, which in many cases is super fun, but it's also easy to shunt aside when we're also building careers and we have kids in middle school and there's lots of, that's one of the first things that I think many people put to the side because it feels like extra luxury and my kids probably should take precedent over my friends in many, many instances because I'm their mother. Mm -hmm. But the idea that there's work involved was very confusing for me many years. And now that I have put friendship in a more central place in my life, I understand. I was like, oh, it was when the phone rings and I'm sort of like, mm, I'm watching a show or I'm reading a book or I'm on the Peloton, pick up the phone because that's a, that's a bid for connection, as Brene Brown would say. And I don't want to miss those anymore. I mm -hmm. don't, I, I'm not available to let them pass me by. So as we get older, Christy, as we're aging, how can we go about finding new friends and building those types of relationships? Wow, this one I think about all the time. And what, <laughs> I don't know if there's a great way to do this without leaving the house, which I understand the virtue of virtual life, but I have just found for me personally that um, being out in the world, like making friends through, you know, my kids' school. But the truth is, they're, my kids are going to leave the house and I'm not going to be able to ride their coattails by becoming friends with their friends' parents. And I think being involved in the things that I love, having said that I like things in real life, I also have, I'm part of lot, a lot of online writing communities. I have three different writing groups because I really love groups and I love writing. And those women are really, really close to me. And we have committed times and we try to let new people into the group and so I think it's, I think there's no getting around that it's difficult to make friends. And I think joining things, I'm a group person, obviously. I wrote a book about group, but so I like to join things and then find my people there, be it a writing group, a therapy group, a community group. I recently started volunteering with an organization in Chicago and I love the people there. And that keeps me coming back. I love the mission, but I also love the people there and I had to step out of my comfort zone. It's hard to make friends if I just sit in my office doing what I do all day. Mm -hmm. But if I step out one hour a month, it's possible. There's there's people. There's people right out there. And right. I always think to myself, there's a really great phrase, um, push off from here. I always think of that. Like, is there someone? is there someone right under my nose that I could connect with? And there almost always is if I'm willing to start. And that's the thing. We have to put ourselves out there and make those connections. As Jane was saying, you have to be intentional and say to someone, I want you in my life and, and really show that person that you do. Yeah, that's a, And even like my husband had a friend over and um, someone I had never met, that they live out of town and he brought his wife and I was like, here's an opportunity. I opened the door. I was like, oh, here's an opportunity. This I, I would have missed, you know, back in the years when I was you know, even more self-absorbed than I am now. And I was like, oh, here's a chance. Here's a connection. 
and they they live a couple towns over but why couldn't we get together it's sort of like a shift in mind for in, in uh mindset it's like when i meet someone new and it doesn't have to be a woman although i'm seem to be rather fixated on female friendship but oh here's a potential friend and when I look at the world that way, it turns out people seem a lot more friendly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And probably because I'm putting out a better, a more welcoming vibe. I think that's true because I've noticed when I'm involved in a lot of community organizations or different things that you, you go out and you meet someone, you say, hey, you know, we should, we're all common saying, you know, oh, we should grab a drink, we should go for lunch. And then nothing happens. But when you do mm-hmm. put it out there and you mean it and you actually schedule it, People are very receptive. They want to go out. They want to share time together. So I think you're right. It's just taking that first step, putting yourself out there and making it happen. That's the key. I think so, too. And I, last January, in my community, the world was sort of opening up a little more. And there were, there were a slew of people to whom I'd seen in the neighborhood and said, oh, when we can gather again, let's get together. And I thought, I don't want to be a person who's like a let's do lunch person just as a toss off. And but I was like nervous because I didn't really know these people. And what I did was I made a reservation at a local restaurant and I made a reservation for like 20 and I invited everyone to come. I put everybody on the email. So it was like I was the instigator, but it was lots of people and lots of some people knew each other. Some people didn't. And then I could at least create an opportunity for lots of connection, not even just for myself. Again, I love the group thing, obviously. And it was a wonderful evening. And then we just started doing that somewhat like quarterly. And then it didn't have, sometimes one-on-one can be a little, it's satisfying, but it can be intense. So sometimes a group thing is also a good way to go. And then everyone, every single person I invited came. Mm -hmm. I could not believe we were all so ready, so hungry that connection, exactly what we're talking about. And you just made a great point because I am like you, I'm the initiator. And I know sometimes I'll say to myself, well, why don't they ever call and ask me to do something? But every time I say, let's do something, they say yes. And then I realized that some people are just not comfortable being the initiator, being the organizer, the planner, and other people are. And, And it's okay to take those roles in a relationship. It doesn't mean the other person doesn't like you or want to spend time with you. It's just not the role that they're comfortable in. I agree. I have in the past, I've had moments of getting hung up on, well, why can't they think of something to do? And I think you're exactly right. I think people, there are initiators and there are, you know, acceptors. And mm-hmm. I, whenever I feel myself having initiator energy, I just, I try to capitalize on it because people appreciate it. It's a, it's something that not everyone has the impetus or the willingness or the social skills to do. And I, whenever I feel willing, I'm like, strike while the iron is hot. Make it happen. <laughs> the book is BFF, A Memoir of Friendship, Lost and Found. Christy, if our listeners would like to get more information about you and your work, where can they go? Sure. I have a website that has information about my books and my publications and where I'll be on tour. That's ChristyKate.com. Very easy to find. The social media where I mostly hang out talking about books and more books and then some more books. Um, I'm on Instagram and that's at Christy O'Tate is my Instagram. And Christy, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would say trust that other people want to get close to you. Everybody's trust that other people are hungry, hungry in the ways that you are. And we could really all just be feeding each other. So why not? Why not extend an invitation? Why not start here today with some way of putting yourself out there to create a connection? Because everybody wants it. Christy, thank you so much for spending this time with us and for reminding us about the importance of our friendships and the connection in our lives. It really has been a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is my favorite topic, so I'm, I'm happy I got the chance to talk to you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. 
Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Are you a hardworking, high-achieving, independent, successful woman? But there's one area in your life where you really want to be successful, and it just hasn't happened yet. I'm Odette Coronel, Certified Life and Relationship Coach. I work with women just like you. I can help you create a long-lasting, meaningful, satisfying relationship with your life partner by using my signature life method and reigniting the spark within you. Visit OdetteCoronel.com and book a free session with me today. If disorganization negatively affects your quality of life on a daily basis and you're ready to get help, call Let's Get Organized. We serve clients living with chronic disorganization caused by ADHD, anxiety, or depression. Either on-site or virtually, we help you clear the clutter, create and maintain simple systems, and show you how getting organized will change your life. Call us at 201-613-2733 or visit our website at lgorganized.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, but only if you make a good impression. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills. To learn more, visit CYACYL.com slash media training. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. People are constantly on the go, so making home-cooked meals can be a challenge. Joining us today to discuss how we can prepare convenient, chef-inspired meals is celebrity chef Jamie Gwen. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joan. Jamie, why do you think it's such a challenge for people to make home-cooked meals? I think it's a challenge for all of us to ask what... <laughs> dinner, what's for dinner? Is dinner ready, right? I think time is of the essence um, and we're all in a crunch. And I love statistics, Joan. So if you don't mind, according to a recent survey by the National Frozen and Refrigerated Foods Association, 73% of parents with a child under the age of 17 living at home, and that's me, I'm that parent, say the time after school and before dinner is the most hectic time in their household. And that's fascinating to me because I experience it every day, but it really proves that we all are in the same boat. So what's for dinner is the challenge of getting dinner on the table. And I am a professional chef that loves the frozen food aisle. They do all the prep work now, no peeling or chopping to save you time in the kitchen. And you can really put out a meal that you're proud of. And there are a lot of health benefits frozen food. It's all about the technology, which has um, elevated over the years. The flash freezing technology means that food, specifically produce, picked at its peak, is flash frozen to lock in the beneficial nutrients. So you get a longer shelf life and the food stays fresher longer. You get ultimately less waste, but you get the best value at the market. And a lot of the frozen products today are being developed by expert chefs, like friends of mine that create recipes for big companies, and they're all made with real ingredients. So if you could put a healthy, fabulous meal on the table uh, using your freezer as a sous chef, why not? What are some of the staples that you think we should keep on hand so we can throw together a quick meal? So uh, I keep um, frozen pierogies in the freezer at all time. That's the potato and cheese dumpling that we all love. Uh, Excuse me. I can throw it in my air fryer for a quick starter or to go along with a cocktail. I can roast them in the oven with caramelized onions and Brussels sprouts, and I have a one-pan wonder. Um, I keep cauliflower gnocchi in my fridge at all times. And I love gnocchi, but I love that they're cauliflowers. Um, I mix the gnocchi with frozen meatballs, which I like to cook off in a pan first because I like that caramelization. And then I mix them with a creamy tomato sauce that's super simple, um, and it comes together fabulously. Um, I always have some Asian food in my freezer because I crave that. I just have, Joan, I love Asian anything. So orange chicken. Orange chicken's my go-to. I think it satisfies my sweet tooth, too. But to make it feel good, I put it in a lettuce wrap. uh, And it's just delicious with a homemade um, Asian-inspired sauce that all comes from my pantry and some green onions or scallions, fresh cilantro, whatever you have. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. 
you've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done, and you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Joining us today to talk about natural remedies to keep our pets healthy is integrated veterinarian Dr. Carol Osborne. Dr. Osborne has pioneered the exploration of new therapies for optimum health and performance for pets. She has appeared on Fox and Friends, The Today Show, and Discovery's Animal Planet. Welcome, Dr. Osborne. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Joan. So, Dr. Carroll, as the weather warms up and we spend more time outside, what are the major concerns for pet owners? Well, it's a great time to think about preventing fleas and ticks. Are there other things that we should be concerned about as well? Uh, Most people are concerned with fleas, ticks, and um, mosquitoes that transmit heartworm disease. Okay, so how dangerous are fleas and ticks to our pets? Not that they're so dangerous. They're more of a nuisance than anything, Um, and prevention is definitely the way to go uh, when it comes to fleas. Uh, if you're looking for natural remedies and you have a flea-free home, you can get yourself a box of borax. Cost you about seven bucks a pound at the grocery store. Sprinkle it all over your floors and your carpets. Uh, leave it on for a couple hours and vacuum it up. That will give you one year of flea-free protection within the home uh, that is actually very effective. So that's a valid consideration. Um, certainly talk to your veterinarian. There are all kinds of monthly uh, edibles as well as topicals that, that do a pretty good job. If you want to keep everything natural and, you, you know, you, you did your borax, um, there are a variety of, a variety of herbal uh, remedies out there. Um, you can make dips with uh, rosemary, peppermint, clove, and a, a variety of other herbs that are pretty effective. If you want to, you know, bath and dip your pet, Uh, It's not a bad idea at all. You have to remember that fleas live in your home uh, as opposed to on your pet. They they only jump on your pet long enough to take a blood meal, jump back down, and lay a whole bunch of more eggs. So if you're not sure if uh, you might have fleas in your house as as the weather, you know, continues to warm up, you can put on some white socks and shuffle your feet on the floor. If you have hardwood floors, uh, fleas lay eggs in the in the crevices of the hardwood. So shuffle your feet, look at the bottom of your sock. If there's little black and brown specks on the bottom of your sock that look like pepper and you get them wet and they turn red, uh, you have diagnosed your home because flea feces are nothing more than dried blood, which is why it turns red. Uh, in dogs, the predilection site is the tail, head, and groin. In cats, it's the head and neck. Um, and you can do the same thing with your pets. Uh, Put your dog and or your kitty on a on a white sheet and get one of those flea combs with the little skinny distances between the teeth and just, you know, give them a good combing and look down at the sheet. And if you see those little black and brown specks and you get them wet and they turn red, you've, you've got you've got your answer. Mm-hmm. And what about ticks? How can we tell if our pet has been bitten or if there's, if there's a tick that's attached to it? Well, I tell my patients to... Run your hands along your pet uh, every morning and every evening. Uh, and if you feel something that shouldn't be there, you know, remove it and see your vet. Ticks, you know, drop down from the brush. There are uh, conventional products like, like NexGuard, for example, which is a prescription uh, monthly chewable uh, that does effectively eliminate fleas and ticks. Um, and there are some over-the-counter products that I would be skeptical on. The big thing with ticks is that they can transmit 10 different diseases, most of which are transmissible uh, to mom, dad, the kids. Um, And and that's the real issue. So a lot of people are familiar with Lyme's disease, um, but in addition to that, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, uh, anaplasmosis, ehrlichiosis, the list is long. Um, So 
that's a very important thing to keep in mind. And depending on where in the country you live, um, the, the fleas are, are, are moving east mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in, in bigger and bigger numbers. So it's become a, a real issue for many pet owners. Um, the other important thing, or the good news is, uh, they have to attach for 48 to 72 hours before they infect, can transmit disease. So if you see a tick, remove it, make sure you get the head, and uh, you can put it in a little jar and take it to your veterinarian if you want to. You can tell if they're engorged, uh, you know, because they get big and fat. They're very nasty creatures. Um those are, um, you know, fleas suck blood and cause anemia and itching if you're allergic to them. Um, but, but ticks can really, you know, do a number on you, so to speak. So I, I think that that's a very wise consideration. And heartworms, of course, are transmitted um, by the bite of a mosquito. So we have all these, you know, products that can prevent one or, you know, one does the heartworm disease and one can do the fleas and the ticks. Mosquitoes, again, it depends on where you live. You know, in Florida and in areas where there's lots of water, uh, certainly there are lots of mosquitoes. Um, Usually, um, I'm in Ohio, so if you're in a climate with with the four different seasons, we do a little blood test each spring uh, to make sure that there are no little microfilaria swimming around in the pet's blood. So different combinations of essential oils. Um, You have to get the ones that are specifically for the dog or the cat. Um, A pretty good job. Certainly natural products don't come with any type of a written guarantee. But if you have elderly pets or pets suffering from, you know, a chronic disorder, liver, kidneys, a heart situation, for example, the natural products are probably the way that you would want to strongly consider going because you don't want to put more toxic chemicals, you know, into a pet that may already, you know, be experiencing some other type of a debilitating condition. Doctor, a question for the overall health of our pets. Is it in general a good idea to give them daily vitamins and supplements? Uh, I, I think it is. I, I, um, I think vitamins and minerals and, and nutrients um, are super important. And um, I, I find in, in my veterinary practice here in Chagrin Falls, Ohio, that uh, if we get these pets on a wholesome, uh, natural diet, um, keep a lean body weight, you know, get daily exercise at least 20 minutes a couple times a day, and, and have them on a balanced, comprehensive vitamin mineral supplement, um, you can add years to your pet's life, uh, healthy years. Not, not the kind of years where you're spending all your time at the vet because of all the different aches and pains that, you know, pets often experience as they age. So, you know, it's something that a lot of people don't think about, but it's following similar advice as what we tell people to do. It's exercise and a healthy diet and supplements and vitamins. Whatever we would be doing to maintain health is what we should be doing for our pets as well. Absolutely. The parameters are very similar the difference being that your pets age about seven times more quickly uh, than you and I do. So paying close attention to those details is far more important so that uh, you can keep your best friend with you just a little bit longer. Doctor, where can our listeners go to get more information? Uh, we have a, a wonderful website, drcarol.com. That'll click you over to the blog with all the articles and whatnot. Dr. Osborne, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for having me, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you have a visible bump on the side of the foot, tenderness in or around the big toe, difficulty moving the big toe, and or pain in the big toe when walking? If you answered yes to any or all of these questions, you may have a bunion. Hi. I am Dr. Anand Joshi, podiatrist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJLLC. Bunions are abnormalities of the feet that can cause a bump to develop on the side of the big toe joint. This can cause the toe to turn inwards. Women are more likely to have bunion pain due to increased pressures from narrow footwear. Having a family history of bunions is also a risk factor. Additionally, some conditions, including rheumatoid arthritis or polio, increase the likelihood of developing a bunion. Here are some things you can do to treat a bunion. Wear proper fitting shoes without high heels. 
Also, using a bunion pad from a shoe store or a drugstore helps protect a bunion from extra pressure. Applying ice for 10 minute increments with a cloth covered ice pack can also help reduce the inflammation. A podiatrist can prescribe custom made orthotics that can assist with stabilizing the deformity and eventually slowing down the progression of the deformity. If a person's bunion does not subside and causes continued pain, surgery may be necessary. If you'd like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a board-certified professional and executive coach, speaker, workshop leader, and reinvention expert. She is the founder of Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Linda is here today to discuss how to use our brain to our advantage. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. Linda, in our last segment, we talked about mental fitness and our saboteur brain and sage brain. How can our life improve by using PQ tools? Well, yes, last time we talked about all that. And as a quick reminder, mental fitness, what is that? Mental fitness is a measure of your ability to handle life's challenges with a more positive mindset and less stress. Because after all, your brain is either your best friend or your worst enemy. And it's really up to us to decide which we want. Areas of our lives that improve when we use the PQ tools are performance, well-being, and relationships. And really, Joan, isn't that what life boils down to? So PQ simplifies personal and professional development because we're actually rewiring the brain at the root level rather than just treating symptoms. So as we learn to intercept our saboteurs, we actually automatically strengthen our sage brain. And there's two very distinct regions of the brain the survival part of the brain, where we usually operate from, and the thriving part of the brain, which is where we want to be to live happy, fulfilling lives. It just takes a little rewiring, which is the goal of the PQ program. This improves a myriad of areas, including stress management, relationship improvement, performance, you know, for some people, more successful selling and persuasion. It boosts creativity and leadership skills. Importantly, resiliency. And I think the most important is happiness. That's the areas of lives that improve when we learn to use the PQ tools. Linda, what are our core mental muscles and how do they affect us? Well, there are three core or critical mental muscles and each one of them is important. So the first one is learning to interrupt your saboteurs, right? So when we learn to recognize and interrupt these old bad patterns and habits, you then get to intercept your saboteurs the moment that they try to hijack you, right? Sometimes they're hijacking your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. So by learning to interrupt your saboteurs, you get to expose the lies, the limiting beliefs, and the damage that the saboteurs do so that they're no longer your go-to response. Then when you do that, we need to build our sage muscle, right? So you learn to use the five sage powers that show you how to convert every challenge into either a gift or an opportunity. And you learn each of those five sage powers. And then we have, of course, to build the self-command muscle. That's the third critical muscle that we build. And when I say self-command muscle, we need to build that up much like we build up a physical muscle in a gym, right? And the app, actually, it's a free app, has a mental gym. It's very cool where it alerts you four times a day to do between 30 seconds and two minutes of what we call a PQ rep, sort of like doing reps at a gym, except that these are mental fitness reps. And because the reps are shorter in duration, they fit into anybody's busy schedule. But here's the thing. Consistency is key, just like going to the physical fitness gym, right? The more PQ reps you do, the more consistent you are, the quicker you build up your mental fitness, which leads to those better relationships, that better performance and improved well-being. So when you build these three critical muscles, you kind of shift the balance of power from your inner saboteurs, right? Your negative self, your negative self-talk to your inner sage, that part of you who you now get to put in the driver's seat, who can find the gift and the opportunity in every single challenge. What can we do to put this into practice and boost our mental fitness? Well, um, you know, I can actually take you through something very, very brief here, if you like. So, and this is why I love this program so much, because you've heard me say, you know, we, our issues land in our tissues, right? So Mm -hmm. this is combining 
getting centered in your body with these mental fitness programs or this mental fitness reps, I should say. And here's a really simple example. By focusing on the things like sensations of touch or visual focus or hearing or your breath or so on, you're actually interrupting the saboteurs and the damage that they cause and you're shifting into your sage brain so you can choose better responses. So right now, I'm going to show you something you can do in just 10 seconds that if we had your brain in an MRI machine while we're doing these 10-second practices, you'd be able to actually see how it's getting you out of your saboteur brain and beginning to build new neural pathways in the sage part of your brain. Because, you know, remember, there's two distinct sections of the brain. So let's do it now for 10 seconds. Remembering this is only one of many, and this is one that kind of translates well to a radio audience. But close your eyes right now and just kind of focus on your breath. And then I want you to put two fingers together, any two fingers, and rub your fingers together with enough tension that you can actually feel the ridges of your fingertips. Simple, easy. And right there, you're shifting. You're shifting out of that saboteur who's telling you something is terrible, something is bad, and you're shifting into the sage brain who is allowed to then stop, reevaluate, and see what good can come from come from a challenge. What kind of research is all of this based on? So this is based on four different sciences. Neuroscience, cognitive behavioral psychology, positive psychology, and performance science. This actual PQ program was developed by a Stanford University PhD researcher. And it's been validated by over... 500,000 individual participants from 50 countries. And, you know, regular people like us and CEOs and elite athletes and students and, you know, technology teams, among so many others. And the research, it's actually breakthrough research that shows there are these 10 negative response factors that we call saboteurs and five powerful response factors, which are our sage powers. And these recent advances, advantages, I'm sorry, these recent advances in functional MRI allows scientists to actually witness the real-time working of the brain for the very first time. So we can now pinpoint the regions of the brain involved in producing different thoughts and feelings and the neural functions involved in that. So you see what happens when you're in your saboteur brain and you see what happens when you're in your sage brain. So I really encourage everyone to take that free assessment and immediately get your PQ score that shows you how often your mind is serving you versus sabotaging you. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit lindamitchellcoachingandhealing.com. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe that the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. While we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So what is the key to getting through a tragedy? First and foremost, we must recognize that we have a choice in the situation. When a tragedy occurs, often we believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating a circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. After my mother and sister died and my 23-year marriage ended all within a period of six months, I knew I was at a fork in my life. I could go one way and let the loss and pain defeat me. I could be a victim or I could go in a different direction and turn the pain into something positive, something with meaning. It was my choice. We all have that choice. Some people create a charity from the loss of a child. Others write books based on their experience, while others make necessary life changes, such as getting sober. 
Tragedy has the power to transform us, and it provides hidden blessings if we take the time to look for them. I think what is allowable is what you need. Initial hurt, sadness, grief are all normal emotions, and they should be felt. Never suppress your feelings. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. It's important to get help if you cannot get going by yourself. Read books or seek counsel that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. Seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and that you have a choice. It is absolutely okay to feel scared and lonely. Don't ever let someone make you feel less than because you're grieving or in pain. Everyone heals in their own time. There's no right or wrong way to grieve, and there's no timetable. A true friend would want to know what's going on in your life. It's never too much to tell someone you love that you're in trouble and need help. You should never be ashamed. There are blessings in every situation, but sometimes you have to look harder to find them. When my father was dying from cancer, while it was a horrible experience, it was also a gift because when I took him for treatment every day, I really got to know him. We talked and we laughed and we spent precious time together. I had to look for that gift, but now I treasure it. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program, sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.